Hello, this is Learning with Lowell, your host, Lowell Thompson. We get into biotechnology, science, science policy, uh, nature conservation, biotechnology, just to name a few. This is an exciting podcast with a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. We get to learn about the people, their history, what they're working on, and the things going on in the future with advice for the entire way. Today, I have Altair, the founder of a biotechnology company based out in Canada that's been on Dragon's Den and has developed a product that he originally designed hoping to help himself, but has figured out a way to help other people. So that's a really interesting progression, and I think all of you are going to enjoy it as well. Talk to me about your background. So, in terms of overall background, I, my, I mentioned that we came from, from Russia, so I'm an immigrant in, in Canada. Both of my parents were scientists, and that kind of mentality kind of rubbed off on me a little bit. But started off with a big interest in medicine. Eventually went uh, to school for for science, medical science, and then ended up switching into genetics. So I was very fascinated with with that. And I launched my company, IOFI Biotechnologies, Inc., back in 2014 when I was in my third year of my undergrad genetics. And then I went on to do my master's in business. So I got my MBA after that. And so now I'm running my company full time. This is This is what I'm doing my day job and I guess my night job as well. So it's kind of around the clock thing, but it's, uh, it's very exciting. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's the, the quick summary. What's it like running an actual biotech company? Is it is it different than what you imagined it would be? Or can you share some of your experiences that you have had that are really kind of like out of nowhere and not out of nowhere, something that you'd expect? Well, it's always kind of a, an evolving sort of experience. So things are always changing. I'm always taking in new things. So I, I wouldn't really say that I'm always expecting a very you know concrete path from point A to point B. I'm always expecting it to go you know, zigzags and roller coasters, you know, up and down to to get to you know the, the next steps. But when I actually started the company originally, it was much more, you know, classic biotech, like uh, hardcore like R and D um, in terms of like molecular biology, you know, like biotech in the traditional sense. But since then we've actually switched up the you know, the business model a little bit the the product offering and we switched into something a bit closer to, to consumer products in terms of some like brain performance so over-the-counter health product and that's actually what we just launched last year it's called indazone energy it's a nootropic so a cognitive enhancer and it's approved by health canada with a health claim so we we like to stick with the actual science background of the company but originally it was i started uh, i launched the company to develop a treatment for celiac disease and I don't know if you're familiar with it. A lot of people who have like that gluten sensitivity, if they have an actual autoimmune reaction to it, that can have uh, some pretty bad you know, health consequences for that for that demographic. So when I first started the company, I was I was working on a, a project that involved a lot of uh, you know, genetic engineering, like cloning bacterial transformations, and it was you know more of the, the classic biotech stuff. Whereas right now, the research that we've been doing, it's been you know compiling a lot of the uh, long-standing research that's existed already and, and working with the government get the sort of regulatory approval to find like a strong product that um, that helps people with, with their brain performance and it's not so much working with genetic engineering anymore it's something that's much more consumer friendly and much more much quicker to to market in that in the sense that there's no you know, 12 15 year regulatory hurdles that we have to go through because we already have a lot of you know, clinical backing behind the ingredients that we're working with so it's a much safer route rather than trying to develop something like a new molecule or a new organism we're working with things that are much more established in terms of safety so i guess one of the 
mentioned kind of like unexpected or expected things with the with the first project that I started working on when I was talking about that uh, treatment for celiac disease. I kind of went in into that working on a project where there wasn't really a regulatory landscape in place yet to actually have this kind of technology approved. It involved genetically engineering probiotics, which are beneficial bacteria to give them an extra therapeutic function. So just to give you a quick background, like, like I said, probiotics, they're, they're beneficial, they're healthy bacteria. But a really important factor is that nine out of 10 cells in the human body aren't actually human cells, they're bacteria, right? And most of them live along the digestive tract. You know, some of them are on the skin, but they have, some of them can be you know, pathogenic. Um, they can make your, your life a bit more difficult. But a lot of them are what's called probiotics, which is, you know, they help with digestion. They help, um, they can support your immune system and, and all these other really important critical um, bodily functions. So the idea was if um, these probiotics or these healthy bacteria already live inside the body, you know, why not um, apply biotechnology to give them um, an extra capability? Because that's essentially what uh, what cells, you know, what they do. They do work. They do things. They perform um, functions. So with biotechnology, the idea is you know, give them an additional function specifically to, to address um, the, the problem with gluten and celiac disease. So um, with that project, the whole thing is genetically engineered probiotics that don't really exist right now. And there's no actual, the whole framework for, for getting approved by any government body, Health Canada or FDA or whatever, that's um, it's a nightmare right now because it's just uh, it's a very new and emerging space, and no one's really, um, from what I've seen, um, not many people are really working on this from a as a medical field. So uh, it was kind of hazy and unclear how to actually go from from point A to actually getting it into the market. And at the time, also, um, I was still in my undergrad, and I had no real idea of uh, the business side of things. I just had an idea in terms of you know, the science behind it and how to actually execute on that. But in terms of bringing it to market, raising capital, that was a whole other story. And combined with the, the regulatory landscape, there were a lot of hurdles and roadblocks that I just didn't foresee. But also, I wasn't really concerned with those at the time. It was more just the curiosity. And I had, it was more of a personal project than anything. I just had to create this thing. Uh, so that was, uh, I guess, one of the unexpected things that uh, um, came up to be a bit of a, a challenge. But again, um, kind of once those things pop up, you know, reevaluate your position and see um, how to move forward and uh, kind of go from there. You mentioned that you, when you were when you first started out, that you were more scientist for, versus business person. How did you gain those business skills? Yeah, so I'd say there's two important things when it comes to gaining business skills, maybe three. Um, but when I was doing my undergrad, like I said, like my my focus was in science and genetics, but all of my electives. Um, at least a lot of them were focused on um, business. So whether it's accounting or economics or just developing those basic fundamentals in terms of how you know how money works, how businesses operate, um, learning those critical fundamentals, that's something that um, you, know, you can do that with a textbook. You can do that online. You, know, you just have to have a bit of discipline and sit down and take in that information. You don't have to go to university or take a specific course. Um, to get that kind of information. Um, one thing where uh, that, that comes in useful, that's not sort of textbook oriented. So rather than you know, or beyond doing those electives in, in my undergrad, I mentioned I went on to do my MBA 
um, at uh, at Queen's University in uh, also this is all in Canada, and um, so one of the top business schools um, in, in Canada. It's an incredible experience, but it wasn't so much the you know the textbook knowledge that that was valuable. It was a lot of it was you know the actual network that you get from that program and um, meeting the right people and learning how to um, you know work with people and build relationships because at the end of the day um, you know there's the technical side of business but then there's also um, the relationships those are where actual work gets done um, is by connecting people and and um, you know supporting each other and leveraging each other's resources to to bring some kind of idea to to life or make some sort of progress um, otherwise so um, yeah, there's one actually, you know, pick up a textbook or just, you know, Google some basic, uh, you know, business, uh, concepts, like whether it's accounting or economics or, or, you know, venture capital or whatever it might be. Uh, there are plenty of courses online as I hope, um, you know, most people are familiar with by now, but, you know, schools like MIT or, or Harvard, like a lot of the, the big schools offer open source courses, um, for a lot of subjects, whether it's, you know, science and you know, programming or business. So, um, there's a lot of free resources out there. So just capitalize on that. If you're not in school right now, if you are, um, by all means, I would recommend you to enroll in some business courses and you know, leverage the faculty and leverage the, um, the knowledge and the networks of the profs, um, to really get the most out of it. Um, because, yeah, like I said, people are, are super important. I've taken those online MOOCs myself. There's a, a lot of great resources out there that I definitely recommend that people jump out to. If anyone who wants to push themselves, I mean, that's one of the fascinating things about today's world. We're having this conversation, we're probably like a, thou- you know, a couple hundred miles away. We have the ability to learn and do anything. It's just finding the resources and, and applying yourself. When it comes to gaining skills now, when you're after you've, after you've established a space, how do you do that? Do you have you just established good mentors that give you feedback? You experiment a lot. You read books. Okay, gotcha. So the the mentorship is key. Um, you know, surround yourself with people who know what they're doing, who have you know, who walk the walk, who have who have been down this road, um, and ask them for advice because I think you'll find that even the people who are super busy, um, you know, very high, very prestigious positions they're usually still very open to helping other people grow and get to the top there there's a at least from from my experience there's been a profound um i guess uh a tendency for for those people to um, reach out and actually like give advice so even if a lot of them wouldn't get back to you um you know they're busy either follow up with them once or twice obviously don't annoy them but um a lot of them really are looking to give back and contribute and help uh, help uh, you know, the the new guys and the um, the next generation or whoever might be grow and develop their own skills and and invest in that. So um, I think yeah, surround yourself with, with those kinds of people, people who who know their stuff, and um, you know bring them into, into the network, ask them for advice, and I think being coachable is really important for this to actually work in the first place if you don't um if you never consider their advice if you never listen to it um if it's not a sincere you know request for mentorship or advice or coaching it's it's not going to last and they're not going to really um you know 
really appreciate that sort of interaction. So, um, you know, be sincere, look, look for coaching, look for mentorship and, and people are, are in you know, most situations, very, um, open and supportive in that regard. Um, the next thing is, uh, actually just like doing things, you know, it's, it's not so much, um, you know, reading about how I'm going to uh, get to, to the next step or like, you know, how am I going to build my, my next supply chain or how am I going to, um, you know, manage, uh, you know, this like, accounting principle. It's kind of like, I'll, I'll do a quick Google search and make sure that I understand the basics and then just jump right into it and actually get some hands-on experience doing it and then, um, learn along the way. So you kind of make the excuse anytime that, Oh, I'm not ready for this. I don't know if something might go wrong. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you keep having that mentality, then you're never going to get anything done. And you're never even going to start in the first place. So I think it's definitely important to, if there's something that you want to learn, just try to actually like, learn by doing and um, you know pick up the pieces as you go. And it definitely helps if you have some mentors or coaches or advisors along the way um, who can support you. Like I said, they're they're usually very supportive um, as long as you, you know, respect their time and and respect their input. Um, that's the the main thing, uh, especially when you know you're you're starting a new company, you kind of, um, everyone has to wear all the hats. And that's, um, I found the best way to, to learn rather than just, you know, reading a textbook on all these different, you know, concepts and, um, you know, activities that a, that a founder has to do, just start doing them and then learn as you go. I think that's definitely something that a lot of people need to, I think, be more cognizant of. I think they tend to get stuck in this, like either taking in, too much information and not producing enough. There's a balance between getting your fundamentals, reading other things that people are doing. At the end of the day, like whatever template you're using from someone else, whatever inspiration you're using from someone else, that person isn't you. That person isn't Lowell. That person isn't whoever you are. At the end of the day, it's your unique unique ability to leverage things that's going to get anything done. So I think for the listeners in, I think that's a very key thing that establish your basics as we talked about and then just kind of hit the pavement. And there's, there's a good book called <laughs> Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson. Oh yeah, it's a great book. What I love, well one, that guy is so smooth. I feel like that guy could talk the pants off anyone. Like he, he just, in the mar- I write in the margins and there's so many instances where I'm just like, how did he do this? The first time he got a, he leased a plane, he set it up so that at the end of the year he could give it back and pretty much lose no money. So I always think, how do you build for the upside but protect downside like he did? Do you use any strategies like that? Do you do anything that like that with the, the newest product that you think people would want to hear about? Um... Well, I think one of the most critical things that um, is, from what I've seen, is, is overlooked too often is um, the actual validation step and you know, the, the the testing phase of actually doing anything in a startup. So a lot of the times, and this is especially true with um, super technical founders, like before I actually you know went and got my business education and put a lot of um, effort into learning um, those concepts. Um, People kind of assume that they have an idea that everybody loves, and they assume that um, that they kind of have it figured out the way that the market wants it to be, and then they just invest a lot of money into making a product, only to realize down the road, once they've actually you know built it and spent a lot of money on it, that it's not what people want, or there's some variation that um, that they got wrong that the market doesn't actually need, or there's some feature that. Um, you know, they've invested a lot into, which, you know, might overall decrease the product value. Um, so I think before you actually, um, you know, 
invest money, which you know, uh, usually we're talking about financial risk. We're talking about risk risk management here. Um, but before you actually invest a lot of money into a project, make sure that you have it right in, in the sense that the people are actually willing to pay for it and it brings value to them. Um, so uh, I don't know if you've uh, ever heard of like, the lean, lean startup principles. Like, like Eric Reese has a great book on that. And that's basically summarizes all of those um, points is that you know, start with like, the minimal viable product. Don't spend money on, on development until you have you know, the prototypes figured out and you test that. Um, you know, if you can sell like, a draft or a prototype of your, of your product, at that point, you know it's ready um, for actual production or at least moving on to the next step um, rather than just you know, saying, hey, like, I have this great idea, let's, let's make it and then we'll sell it and it'll be great. Um, always start with you know the the bare minimum, just like a paper version. Like if it's an app, you know, draw out what the what the screen will look like and like where the buttons are, and then have another drawing for like where this button will take you, and just ask people to to walk through it with you and see what they think before you actually you know, invest in developing that app. And same thing goes with products. You know, if you can make um, a, a little version out of clay. Or something that something that has just bare minimum functionality, and just test it and see if people like it, and then that's you know, get people to to guide your product development stage, and that will ultimately reduce the risk to you because you know by the time you actually invest something, you know capital into the development, you already know that people are willing to pay for it. I think in the lean startup book, I think he, he if I might be thinking of another book that sounds similar to that, but he. The person mentioned how someone once like pre-sold magazines, like you sold like a bunch of magazines. Right. Yeah. Pre-sales. Yeah. Exactly. That's a that's a very smart way to do it. And then you have the incentive to like deliver, or else you you get you get screwed on that. Um, which uh, you know, having something much more strong than an artificial deadline is always a very good motivator. Um, when it comes to the product you guys have coming out, um. Is it is it out now or is it coming out soon? I, I forget. Although it's already out. Yes, we launched it. So coming back to, I guess, the sort of uh, lead startup principles, we launched the first version um, last year. And when I say like the first version, it's um, to, to keep uh, like, the costs down to like, the minimum as possible. We've already done some you know, very preliminary, um, you know, like, product development and testing and everything beforehand, but in terms of actual retail, because we have Health Canada approval to actually sell it and um, at any retailer or just in general, legally to sell it, um, it has to be manufactured at Health Canada licensed facilities. And this is where it gets tricky because those guys have a lot of you know, minimum order quantities. You can't just walk in and say, hey, can you make me you know 10 packs of this so I can, um, you know, Try selling it. It's you know they're starting at you know hundred thousand capsules, million capsules, two million. Um, so um, the uh, I say the first version. It was uh, I'm based in Ontario right now, and I called all the, the suppliers in the area to see um, what their you know MOQ is, or minimum order quantity, and so then I started calling you know people in neighboring provinces. Um, to see like, like who in Canada will do like the lowest order quantity um, from a, a Health Canada licensed facility, so that we can you know make a, a legitimate um, version and start actually um, you know testing that at scale. 
and um, ended up producing it in uh, in Quebec. And um, the the packaging for that product, I I designed it myself. So I just picked up. I learned graphic design, and it looks um, it's fairly amateur packaging, but it was enough to you know communicate what like, the brand name is, what the product is, what it does, the health claim, um, which is helps to enhance cognitive performance. And all of the like, the health Canada information um, in terms of you know, dosage, et cetera. And um, you know, once I had that, you know, the sort of amateur design package product. Once I discovered that people are happy to pay for that, and you know, then they tell their friends about it, and then they buy more of it. If they're willing to buy a, pro- like a product that's packaged in something, you know, in kind of a rookie design, that was you know, fantastic validation. And then. We just got. Um, we actually just started another production run. We got a professional designers to overhaul the packaging, and um, we'll we'll be launching that uh, next month. So again, same product. The the formulation. It's it's a patent pending formulation, so that hasn't changed, and uh, still you know made Health Canada licensed facilities. But that was sort of the process from uh, you know keeping everything as lean as possible. Like you know, you know don't don't spend money where you don't need to um in terms of you know design and, and marketing fluff just make sure that you have a great product um and then uh start uh testing that and then go from there so um we, yeah we launched it last year and now we're uh starting to kind of scale it up when it and it's okay we can't go into specifics but how has the the growth well before we even talk to about specifics about that how how big of an impact and how big of an impact will it have on a person like what what is the user benefit? Like, let's 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 start there. Sure. So, um, if you think of uh, like coffee or energy drinks, um, you know, a lot of people they're they're quite familiar with the effect. Like, give like a, a quick rush and like a, almost like a, a high, whether it's a sugar high or just the caffeine high, and then sort of the crash, and then you feel almost like drop below baseline. Um, one of the big benefits with Indozone Energy is that you know, it gives you that boost in alertness and and focus and attention, but it, doesn't it will make you feel jittery and it also really offsets a lot of that that crash so it's a much smoother um you know lift off and uh and coming back to baseline um and the effects last about four to six hours so it's the idea here isn't to get you you know like wired or high it's to get your brain in a more productive state and um we you know we don't like to like make a direct parallel to things like prescription stimulants, you know, like ADHD medications. Um, but one of the big issues that we've seen and, you know, some research has, has shown that up to 34% of students right now have started taking prescription stimulants like Ritalin or Adderall to help you know, improve their brain performance to, so they could keep up with their, with their academics. And um, again, this, if you have, you know, ADHD or, or legitimate prescription, we definitely recommend that you, you stick with your, um, with your doctor's um, advice, but for for people who need something better than coffee or energy drinks, um, we kind of give them a you know a regulated but much safer alternative. So it's definitely less extreme than um, you know Adderall, which is an amphetamine, and it's not going to last for thirty six hours. Um, but at the same time, it's and uh, you know, healthier for the brain. It's it's designed specifically to offset the side effects that stimulants tend to to, to produce and offset the the chemical imbalances that happen in the brain as a result of stimulants. So to keep the brain almost um, functioning higher at a higher level, but uh, more naturally. Mm-hmm. What type of side effects is it designed to 
uh, not have, for lack of a better word. Right. So the the jitteriness is a big one. So the the overstimulation that a lot of um, stimulus produce, and then um, also the sort of that, that crash effect or that that negative after effect that a lot of people experience um, with with stimulants. So you know, better attention and reaction speed than coffee or energy drinks or caffeine tablets, um, and uh, fewer side effects. Awesome. Compared to let's say like a, a normal like eight ounce or a 20 ounce, depending on what you're drinking, a uh, cup of coffee, like how big, how much more impactful is it than that? Yeah. Sure. So in terms of, uh, yeah, so in terms of the, I guess, like the caffeine kick that you'd um, get from a standard eight ounce cup of coffee, one capsule is comparable to like, like one uh, cup of coffee. And then, you know, so if people are drinking a lot of, they're, they're familiar with, caffeine and they, they drink it a lot um most most people like to take two capsules to get um a stronger boost but uh one tends to produce like a nice subtle um boost in in kind of clarity and attention and um and, and focus whereas two is more for like you really need to grind and you really need to like a kind of a stronger boost that's when you would take two and how long do they last you said it didn't last like the 36 hours four, like yeah. redolin i'm sorry four yeah four Four to six hours. Okay. And so if my market validation, let's say it's a simple run of, of 10,000 or whatever it was, how big of a run are you do, are you planning for this time? We basically doubled our production run over, over the last one, but we're still trying to keep things almost a bit agile because I intend to, um, it's, it's almost like uh, with my mindset, it's constant um, constantly lean startup, even as we start to scale, it's always about testing everything, even though we put a lot of testing into the, the new packaging and getting a lot of you know, consumer feedback on it and, and suggest, I still plan on doing more optimizations later on and, you know, rolling out new formats as well. So different sizes, especially like larger order size, but I plan on putting in much more over the next year as well in terms of expanding the product line and, and different formats as well. So we're still, you know, keeping a lot of uh, flexibility in, in terms of the direction in, and how we sort of branch that out. So most businesses, they tend to stick to a couple of numbers as their thing that they like. They watch like eBay does, I think, gross gross sales is like the big thing that email, eBay gets behind. Is there a particular number that you tend to watch pretty steadily and that's the one that like everything goes off of? No. So right now I'm kind of just trying to keep tabs on as many sort of from data points that I have, and obviously it's you know it's definitely good to have some things to to focus on. In which, in that regard, it would be sales. There's a lot of more subtle things at, at this stage that I'm keeping track of as well. And that's you know things like reviews and, and you know customer feedback and and letters from customers and the emails that we get from them and things that they love about the product and things that if they want some sort of changes in terms of if they they see something on the packaging that they want something they think something else would stick out more. My ears are always sort of tuned to to the customer, but in terms of the you know KPIs or the you know performance indicators, yeah, sales, you know, sales numbers, and you know where where are those sales coming from? Those are really important things to keep track of. And I think that once we start to scale it even more, we're going to put a lot more of a emphasis into analytics and having you know a much uh, a much more profound and in depth you know database to be to be working with and you know crunching those numbers and having. Um, more specifics but right now again most important thing at this stage you know we know that we have a great product it's you know 
getting the sales out there, growing the sales, you know, make sure that the customer is still getting value and their value, the, the value is growing for them as well. When it comes to your team, who's all a part of it? So uh, up to this point, I've been uh, the only full-time guy. I'm the founder, and I've been the only full-time person on this company. So I've, had, I've kind of I've strung this all together myself and bootstrapped this, kind of growing and scaling it up. That said, now that we actually have you know, a good foundation, I'm, I'm planning to start building a team and recruiting around me. And that's going to be primarily in, in marketing functions and sales functions you know, as we start you know, growing that the actual commercialization part of it and uh, and scaling part of it and to let me focus a bit more on strategy and the product lines and, and growing up that side of the business and obviously um obviously r&d but uh so yeah up to this point it's been it's been just me i've had some fantastic help from you know some some part-time part-time work and uh great advisors on the team um you know one of my advisors that i really look up to a lot i get a lot of um, incredible advice and guidance from he's in the in the marketing hall of legends and he's been a, a great um, a great support in terms of you know the market strategy and you know, the the brand strategy and it's great to have that kind of heavyweight on the team you know just guiding me and uh, and pushing me in the right direction but in terms of you know full-time employees so far I've been uh, I've been the only one to what extent do you need to grow so you can take on those people or is it just going to be kind of done in conjunction with the growth yeah it's totally going to be um in parallel you know once i have every sort of element of the foundation secured and and you know uh locked in that's when i'm going to start bringing in um people in sales so for example um before i bring on um you know a head of sales i want to really get my hands into it personally and get some get a good feel for it myself before i start you know delegating that role out to other people just to make sure that you know, I understand um, that role. I understand that task. I understand that space. So when I'm communicating with that person who's responsible for that function, I understand you know their language. I understand you know, their their challenges, their struggles, and um, I can also you know delegate and and manage them the most effectively. So it's important for me to actually um, do that and to a reasonable extent and make sure that um, there's a good you know foundation for them to grow out of as well so i'm just waiting for for the right opportunities to um bring them on board for that so everything so far like i said i've been sort of testing out and um developing myself but over the next few months is when i'm going to start bringing people for those like the sales and marketing functions it sounds really exciting I, i'm very happy to hear that things are going well for you did was it all completely self-bootstrapped or did you have to do any like venture capital type stuff so, no, uh, I didn't have to do venture capital. What what I did basically was a lot of um, you know, business competitions, uh, like scholarships, awards, I, I, like government grants. Um, that's how I raised capital. So it was all non-dilutive. Um, so there were some great government grants that are specifically for for startups that helped get the ball rolling for us. They're, they're very competitive grants, but you know, we had a pretty good business model and a strong case for them to basically for the government to invest in at that time and then um from there is uh yeah some business competitions through various organizations um there was one through the business school which i uh went to at, at queens and um that was you know the, the contribution from that was was significant to you know getting things started and getting the ball rolling and from there it's basically you know revenue start coming in and then that starts to, to self-fund 
the growth and, and the operation. So that's really kind of the um, the heart of bootstrapping is you know tick things off until revenues can um, you know sustain sustain growth. So um, I'm at the point right now where I'm starting to explore options to to raise capital. Um, you know, just to really scale things up uh, quicker, and things have been you know, moving very fast on their own, and uh, which is great. And uh, we're about to get um, a, a sizable, uh, you know, uh, increase to actually um, you know, have more resources to, to inject into this to to make sure that it, um, it the, the process goes smoothly. I like, and I think if you listen to other podcasts. Uh, list, uh, that I've that I've done uh, when they go live that like that that type of kind of like scrappy like making it work you know going kind of like hitting the pavement is is something that cannot be understated enough like no one like no one's gonna care about it as much as you do so you have to like go out there and make them care about it so do I understand like at the end that you did get some venture capital type investment and like that's gonna help like spur the growth or did I, did I misinterpret Right, so yeah, I'm I'm in the middle of all that right now. So I've got a lot of uh, a lot of interest in that, which kind of in the negotiation step. Um, right now, I'm trying to find the or just decide which one would be the most uh, strategic and most most valuable. But there's been a lot of interest in this uh, in this right now. So I'm very excited for the next step. So we're in a very uh, um, very very good position. I'm very excited for it. Congratulations on that. There's a there's a book that I'm about finished with right now called Venture Deals by Brad Feld, uh, Feld, I think is how you pronounce his name. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've read it yet, but I would definitely recommend it, especially if you're, you know, in the negotiation phase, like uh, a couple of my, some venture capitalist people that I know, like say like, that's a, like a fantastic primer on that. So. Perfect. Yeah. I don't know. Just as to try and be helpful. So when it, what resources do you currently use to run everything? So you're kind of like a one-man operation. So do you, are you using, I mean, I imagine you probably use like WordPress or something like that for your website, but like beyond that, like what type of resources are you currently using to run everything? Um, okay, so a lot of, when we're dealing with um, you know, the financial stuff, you know, it's like a, lot, a lot of the, just the basics that you'd expect, you know, spreadsheets with, uh, with Excel and making sure that, um, you know, you have, your sales targets and, and strategy and everything in place, you know, just crunching numbers because um, a lot of numbers have to get crunched to make sure that you know, things go smoothly and you're keeping track of everything. Um, but um, other than that, we're uh, for our website right now. Um, initially, we started with um, with Wix and we're uh, using Shopify as well for um, you know, for e-commerce. But uh, I don't know if you'd consider it a, a tool or more of a, a channel. But Amazon again is one of our um, uh, yes, platform as resources that we've been um, working with a lot. But um, other than that, it's, it's really just the, the basics. You know, Google Analytics, just to uh, get some uh, customer insights, and um, nothing too fancy right now. It's uh, it's um, you know just being resourceful with with all the basics. So um, I wouldn't say there's any uh, um, you know um, super um, you know unique thing that we're using with QuickBooks for accounting, which is very useful. You know, we could invoice um, directly to, you know, to, to customers. Um, but, uh, but other than that, it's kind of just, you know, very basics and keeping things very, um, very simple, but efficient. So two final questions, cause I want to be respectful of your time. 
it are one if you were to kind of like train someone let's say you had to like take a sabbatical from being ceo founder of a great company that has all this interest how would you train someone to kind of like take your place for the next like three to six months like what skills oh, would you man. want them to have you know like yeah yeah like have fun with it like how, <laughs> how, would you, how would you build a ceo to either be as good or, or better than you and we're assuming they're kind of just starting from they've never heard of the company. They don't have a lot of experience with um, kind of like business, just kind of like an average person off the street. How do I prepare them for this for this role? I'll make it. I'll, I'll, they have at least an undergraduate degree in business. <laughs> like okay. I'll make it. I'll make uh, it like yeah. I'll make it like they have a they have a, a good foundation in business, so they understand like that type of stuff. Okay, so first I'll make sure that they have a constant supply of Indozone. Second, I will. Uh, I'll get them to basically, you know, um, follow me almost like shadow, make sure that, um, you know, anything that I do, they are kind of like over my shoulder and asking questions and I'm kind of, uh, you know, walking them through why things need to need to be done just to make sure that they understand things. And you know, if it's just a common sense, um, sort of, um, you know, activity, I'm, I'm sure they'll get it quickly and they can sort of um, go off on their own from there. But I think the most important thing is from the bat is to drill down the actual values um, behind the company, behind the brand, the things that we stand for and why we make decisions the way we make those decisions. Um, because again, they can they can pick up a textbook on their own time. They can learn accounting. You know, they, they can learn how to use like Google Analytics. What they can't learn just from a textbook is, you know, what we actually stand for and you know, the, the um, what the brand actually means um, to consumers and you know, why people love the product beyond the product being a great product. Um, so making sure that you know, they're asking questions often and you know, giving them opportunities to actually, like I said before, get their hands um, actually involved, you know, dealing with uh, like stakeholders and making sure that um, you know, the way that they're communicating is in line with you know, those brand values and the, the, the actual vision of the company and representing that um, that value you know, effectively. So I think that's what it all comes down to is making sure that um, the actual, the, the soul and the DNA of the company is, is transferred efficiently. It's not so much about you know, teaching them how to use a spreadsheet or teaching them you know, how to find the right, um, you know, supplier or, or or whatever it might be it's all about make sure they understand how to make decisions because again if they have a degree they're um you know some even an undergrad degree that's already a great indicator of the fact that they're capable of something you don't need necessarily to have a degree to you know obviously to, to be capable um to to run a company or to to be successful but just having a degree is just off the bat you know a, a pretty quick and quick and dirty indicator that you, you know you're able to achieve something so um making sure like i said that they get the values they they're making decisions in line with those principles and also making sure that they learn how to be resourceful if they're not they don't already have that skill so you know um giving them you know tasks and assignments with the bare minimum resources and making sure that they they get comfortable being creative um with how they use those resources and, and bringing the most value with what they've got. I think that's a, a fantastic answer, especially the, the hands-on component. If, if you had uh, any, any leeway before you were forced on sabbatical, you could uh, also just like kind of give them like a, a ridiculous task and just see how they, how they handle it as like a, a fun little lab mouse uh, experiment. For sure. Um, yeah. 
I don't know how nice it would be to them, but you know, upside is maybe they, they sell a lot of it, and you're like, yes, that, that was totally doable. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, really no lose unless they, like, break. But so uh, last question, which is how can people – how can the people who are listening learn more? Like what, what website, you know, are you on Twitter or anything like that? How can people learn more about this and, and stay in touch and uh, be current with everything that you're, you're working on? Okay, perfect. So first of all, I love you know, connecting with whether it's you know, customers or just people who are interested in, in the product. And I'm very, uh, um, you know, very engaged with you know, people because that's really what the brand revolves around for me. Um, I think one of the important things is that they just know how to actually spell the, the product's name, which is Indizone, I-N-D-E-Z-O-N-E. And our website is getindazone.com. Um, you know, like get into zone, stay into zone. Um, it's a little bit of a pun there. Um, and then um, all of our handles for social media are get into zone. So if it's on Instagram, which we like to have a lot of fun with on Instagram, it's uh, it's also at get into zone. Um, same with Facebook. Um, so those um, any of those channels are always um, you know, accessible. We love to engage with people through those. And um, on our website, we have a contact us form as well. And I'm always happy to respond directly to, to anyone who reaches out through those channels and um, will spark up a conversation. Oh, one last thing. Were you on the Dragon Den? Oh, I was on Dragon's Den. Yeah, that was um, uh, just uh, last year. That was a you know, great experience. And um, it was filmed back in April, which is you know, just after we first launched um, our product, like you know, just after we got our inventory in hand. So we didn't have any actual like traction or, or you know data to show them at the time um so it was too early for them to go in but they were very supportive of the of the product and the brand and um you know where the company was at which is great so overall it was an incredible experience um it was great exposure and great advice from from the dragons as well so um i'm, I'm very happy with with that even though it was you know, early stage at the time it was still an opportunity that uh, i just had to jump on and uh i'm glad that i did that uh it all sort of um it worked out for for the best overall. Mm -hmm. And for people who are listening, Dragon Den is basically Canada's version of Shark Tank. Which, for instance, uh, Kevin O'Leary, he's the I think he's the person who started Dragon's Den, and then he moved it to Shark Tank in America, if I'm remembering correctly. Right. So Kevin, yeah, he used to be on uh, on Dragon's Den. But also, fun fact of the day, Dragon's Den was actually um, around before Shark Tank. That's the uh, the uh, OG uh, venture capital or angel investor. Um, show so it's been around for a while now well i, I want to thank you again for taking the time to talk with me today we we covered a, a variety of topics and i think you have a very effective way of looking at things when it comes to you know establishing the basics but then getting out there you know hitting the pavement and making things happen which i think seriously cannot be understated enough like if you want something you got to really work for it so i i want to thank you again for coming out Thank you very much for having me. It was, uh, it was an absolute pleasure, and I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for joining us today. That was Altair. We got into his company, the things he thinks about, the future. You know, we got into a lot of... Join us at learningwithold.com, iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere that podcast can be found. Join our mailing list. New blog posts every Thursday, new episodes every Tuesday. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please give me feedback. Send me a message. Send me an email. There's a form on my website. I'd love to hear from you.